Welcome back to the Mackham in the Middle podcast. Two games played in the last five days. In the last week, we'll go with. Uh, two home games, Watford first and foremost midweek, and then a weekend game at home to Middlesbrough. Um, two very contrasting games, two very contrasting results, and two very contrasting talking points as well. Um, starting with the first game, Michael, because, you know, quite frankly, there's less to talk about that one. There is the second one, of course, so we'll keep this bit short, but Watford obviously struggled so far this season, um, near the bottom of the table, and I think they still are, because I don't think they got too much out of the game that they played at the weekend, but I could be wrong on that. They drew but, on one at Cardiff, I think. I think. Yeah. So they are still very much down there at the moment, but like I keep saying in pretty much every podcast that we do at the minute, doesn't really matter where you are on the table at this point. Although it's not good to be 20th at any stage in the season. But with it being a home game, Watford, like I say, a team struggling, probably wanting a point out of that game. And that's a type of uh, team that Sunderland usually struggle against. It's a good, that was a good win against Watford first and foremost. Definitely was. I mean, if you want to look at it in another context, like last season when we played them twice, we drew 2-2 two, two both times and needed late equalisers to get a point in both games. Granted, to be fair, the game down at Vicarage Road felt like a win because at that point, Watford had just come down. We'd just come up. Um, but then, obviously, you look at the home game where we went 2-0 down um, against a team like when Watford had nothing to play for then and Patrick Roberts, had, we had to score two goals in the last 20 minutes. Goodness, screamer from Patrick Roberts. So in this particular game, it was one where Watford fans were adamant before the game that we were going to end up winning and winning quite comfortably. And it ended up panning out that way. I think the first 40 minutes in that game, I've said it um, before, that I thought was a little bit flat. I don't know. It was just something about it felt off to me. But once we went ahead, it was pretty much one, well, one, one-way traffic, but it, we were in control. I didn't really feel that Watford were really going to get back into the game, which I was kind of surprised by because I, I figured they would have started a bit better than they have done. But it won't be long before the head coach gets sacked because nearly everybody gets sacked there. Yeah. And obviously, like I say, Kyle, we're going to keep this pit short because there's not much to talk about about the second game. But Niall Huggins obviously got a goal in that game. Um, and, you know, the narrative around that is, you know, he's had such a long time out injured. He deserves a break. And obviously he's gone and get himself injured again in this game. And how long he's out for, I don't know. But let's pretend we don't know that he got injured in that game and, and look at the Watford game in particular. Um, obviously, Serkin got injured a few weeks ago. Huggins came in. Um, and... You know, he's, he's played well in every game that he's played. And, you know, I think that's his first senior goal. Obviously, he's struggled for appearances here. Like I said, I think he spent two years out injured. Um, but, you know, granted, like I said, he's injured now. But it'll have been a good boost for him to get that goal and, you know, another another performance under his belt and another good performance as well. Right. It was a fantastic goal as well. Really good skill. And I love just kind of the, uh, <laughs> like the toe poke just right in the top of the net. That was fantastic. So, uh, yeah, and it's just, you feel for, obviously now knowing, you know, what's what's since happened but um yeah he's come in he's had to come in due to other injuries in that position which we just seem to have kind of a carousel of injuries there um but anyone who has come in has really stepped up and and really filled that spot well and i've been really impressed with niall huggins you can see why you know Leeds originally had him you know why we wanted to pick him up as well um really quick player really good uh, ball skills i mean even defensively he's tracked back well he's defended well i he, he really has not put a foot wrong it was great to see that goal and it really did also come at a good time you know because to michael's point you know watford they, they usually come and fight for everything uh that goal came right before the half and you know it's it leads you to believe that you know if we weren't able to break through and get that goal going into the half nil nil is a lot different 
from Watford, Watford's perspective and probably would have found a way to make the game just even, you know, wetter and uglier than it looked on uh, on my computer when I was watching it. Uh, but yeah, that goal coming from the Al Huggins, I, you know, I, I do feel for him. And, you know, it's just the injury bug is starting to kind of rear its head again. But I, hopefully we're getting some other players back here soon and, and whatnot. But yeah, I'd love to see that from Huggins. And it, it was a really good goal as well. Yeah. You know, see, Abdul Bar gets the other goal in that game, Michael. And for someone who mm. must be about five foot eight, five foot nine, I think he is. Yeah, I don't know his stats behind it, but he seems to win a lot of headers. And obviously, that's where this goal comes from. Ball in the box, Joe at the back post, heads it back over to Abdul Bar. And, you know, he's again another player that hasn't had, well, didn't have the best kind of start in the Sunderland shirt when he arrived from. Um, I can picture the badge. Saint Leo is is a French club. It is a French club, and it's like a light blue, dark blue badge. <laughs> is that Leon? Is is it? It's the same team that Marvin's Candé came from. Well, either way, I'll, I'll I'll try and save your blushes a bit. Yeah, but yeah, I mean Abdullah Bar very quickly on him. It's it's one where I feel a little bit for him because you know he, he's obviously in sort of what is he? Are we a class that he's a number ten or a winger now? Because either way, last season when when you had you know Jack Clark, you had Patrick Roberts, you had Ahmad there. You know, he wasn't really going to break into the team ahead of them, was he? So it's a, I think he's kind of had to bide his time a little bit. But I think to get a goal, he certainly deserved it. And with just for the way that he leaped for the header, because as you said, he's compared to some other players in the championship, he's probably a midget, but he's able to jump up and win a ball and actually I mean, head it There's, there's the actually head. a picture of him, like obviously of that header. And he seems to be about two foot off the ground when he actually heads the ball, which is... <laughs> he must have some leap on him then, he? does. He does. Le Havre. Le Havre is That's the, the one. Club. Yeah. Le Havre. I can picture it's a light, light blue, Fra- dark blue. Fra- Fra- yeah. the day there. What a legend. Yeah. A little, Fra- it's got like a dragon with a crown. It, it, that's, a, yeah. <laughs> that's a sweet bad. I'll it's just... one of the best academies in France, I think. Yeah. Um, like I say, Kante came through there. I think Pogba, Mahrez, up to the bar, obviously the next big thing in football, of course. <laughs> um, but that game finishes 2-0. There'd be a lot more to talk about if the second game that we're going to get on there didn't have so much to talk about instead, but it does. And oh. don't know where to start, really, um, in this terms of... This is going to be fun. ...what to actually talk about. But what we will say is, before anything happens, before anything happened in the game, it was an even game and a good game. Of, uh, of football for you know anyone that was watching it on Sky is a neutral even if you're a Sunderland fan even if you're a Burma fan um, you know it was two teams going at it two teams who were good on the ball good off the ball and you know I think Sunderland kind of first 40 well 47 minutes of the game had the best chances of the game Michael yeah well th- this was a game where I felt Borough started if we're talking just about the first 47 minutes before we get onto the lovely topic of um, <coughs> referees later on but um if you're looking at just the first 47 minutes, I think the Borough started the better, but keeping more of the ball, showing a bit more intensity. But I think gradually as the gate, as the half started to go on, Sunderland started to really come into the game. And, and yeah, I agree with you. I think we had the better of the chances. I'm not. So, there was one where Borough had, where I think they had a shot at the back post, which I, either might have deflected off Patterson and off the post out for a corner. But that side, I felt Sunderland's chances were better. I mean, the obvious one is when Patrick Roberts Patrick from the Roberts, same, yes. from the same, yeah, from the same side of the pitch that um, Niall Huggins made his run to score in the Watford game, he basically runs through half of the Borough defence or half of the Borough team and shoots at Dieng. And although Dieng made an important save, it was more or less uh, straight at him, I think. Yeah. Um, it, and obviously, on, with Roberts as well, though, like, I think, you know, there'll be people that listen to this 
that maybe aren't Sunderland fans. I don't know to be honest, um, but I think most of them will be. I think but in terms of a few Borough fans listening, but yeah, probably, um, probably. But in terms of players that not just Sunderland have had, but in terms of players that I've seen at the Stadium of Light or at an away game wherever I've been to, barring obviously top top players, and I mean you know I've I've seen Messi play, I've seen Neymar play, and and, and players like that, Hazard. Um, aside from them, top world class players, I think Roberts on the ball in terms of ball control, in terms of dribbling, close control, is one of, if not the best player I've seen, certainly at Sunderland. And the downside of his game is his end product. Because I think, you know, in terms of goals and assists, I don't think he's ever had a particularly great season um, in terms of numbers. And, you know, we talk about that chance there where, you know, he's, I think he's about 10 yards out, no mm. defender really near him, keeper in the middle of the goal, and he has to finish that. Um, obviously changes the game completely if that does because, you know, ifs, buts and maybes but the rest of that half obviously pans out very differently and we'll get on to that but it was another chance I think it was against I don't know who it was against I'm not even going to try and think who it was against but where, you know, he probably should have scored and if Roberts does, you know, obviously he's, I think he's 24, 25 now so he's, he's still got time to improve his game if he does improve that part of it he's, he's going to be one of the best players in the league if not the best player in the league and you know, with Man City that have held on to him for, I think it was about six, seven years after they paid quite a lot of money to sign him from Fulham, you can see why that they kind of stuck with him for so long. But like I say, it's just that end product that he needs to improve. Well, that's the thing. But the, the thing I always make the argument of is if Patrick Roberts' end product was really, really good, would he be playing in the championship? Yeah. You know, that that's probably the main reason why he, why we've still got him because is someone, as you're right, in terms of a dribbler and actually a carrier of the ball, I think Patrick Roberts is one of the best I've seen play for Sutton. But again, as you said, his numbers for his quality is quite poor when you actually look at it. I mean, I think last season, if I'm right, I think he only got something like five goals across the whole, what was it, 46 games? I don't know how many of them he might have missed or anything. But off the top of my head, he scored three times against Reading across the two games, scored the equaliser against Watford. And I'm sure there's another goal that he ended up scoring that I'm probably going to end up missing out. But point is, he is someone who... Oh yeah, Wigan was the other one, um, you know. But he's got a lot of quality in terms of carrying the ball. But is but again, it's just his, it's just his, his assists or uh, goals even. It's just see, it's nine nine games in this season, he, he doesn't have a contribution yet. Not a direct contribution. No, I mean, obviously, and obviously, we're not saying that he's obviously a crap player because he's obviously not. He's got something about. Him. I mean, you know, we always talk about assists before the assist. You know, Roberts probably, although they don't have that registered in terms of numbers, Roberts is quite important in that regard. But. I mean, I can't, I can't really take it away from him. That chance yesterday has got to be one nil. I mean, you can, I know Borough fans said Dieng again made a good save, but I felt that, it, I mean, looking at back at it, I might need to watch it again. But I felt it was more or less straight at him. I think I'm disappointed that Roberts didn't score it, or at least like square to bar or something. But yeah, I mean, I like Roberts, but there's also another thing you got to remember is that we might not have him for too much longer because we've obviously got that, yeah. still got that contract situation rumbling on in the background. And my gut instinct tells me that again, I think if we don't agree a contract with him, we'd probably sell him in January anyway, which yeah. would be a shame, but hopefully he gets tied down. Well, just just looking at his stats now, and I think he's, he's played 74 times for Sunderland, seven goals, eight assists, that's 15 goal contributions in, in you know, near enough 75 games, which works out at like, what, a goal contribution every five games, I think that is, when yeah, one, six, of, yeah. one of the main vocal points of a team is... You know, not taking away from him as a player, because like we say, he is, you know, I still think he is one of the best players in the league in terms of what he does do, but is a poor return. And I think his best return was at Celtic, where he's got, I think, 44 goal contributions in a similar amount of games. So it's like 30 less contributions in a Sunderland shirt. And obviously, a lot of them games 
also in League One. But let's talk about Roberts because we talk about the first 47 minutes of that game, Kyle, where it's an even game, it's a good game, it's, you know, end to end, two good defensive teams, two good attacking teams, two good possession teams. And then Daniel gets sent off. The first foul, um, I haven't really seen too much. I didn't think it was a foul from when I seen it in the first place. Obviously, you will have been watching on Sky, so you'll have seen it better yeah. and you'll have seen replays of it. But he gets booked for that, um, which you know quite a few people around me at the time didn't think was even a foul, never mind a yellow. Um, and then in the, about the 47th, 48th minute, um, actually after the amount of added time that was alleged, obviously it's a minimum, so it doesn't really matter. But Trey Hume makes a tackle ball, goes off a goal kick. And this is about 10 seconds after Clark is fouled. Um, not maybe fouled, he is fouled. Daniel, from about 25 yards away, goes to the referee. It's a fucking foul, which is a natural reaction in a game of football. Never mind, at, you know, top level um, in England across, like, you know, professional leagues. And he gets a second yell off of that, which I said to people at the time, if you start booking people for saying stuff like that or for saying a swear word, from 25 yards that's not directed at you but sort of with you in terms of the referee every game would end with about five players on the pitch right and maybe that's what the refs want when it's all said and done they'd rather they'd rather uh, ref a five aside uh game than, than <laughs> these big ones but you know just for a little context too you know these early games are tough. Yeah, it's uh, the game starts at 5:30 a.m. for yeah, on a Saturday. Not ideal. My strategy for these is I usually set my alarm for six because if I wake up, you know, about six, I'm still half asleep. If I look at the score, if it's out of hand, I'm like, eh, yeah, I'm just gonna sleep this one off. But this one, turn it on. You know, I get up about six o'clock. I'm like, man, I even said to myself as I I, I remember seeing 46 or 47 on the clock going going into the halftime, thinking like. This is a great game. Like both teams can't come to play because we've seen it, right? We just saw it a couple of weeks ago uh, or a couple of games ago when teams just show up and have no desire to actually play and they're just going to put everyone behind the ball. But credit to Middlesbrough, it, it was a great game, I thought, for the most part. Yeah, there's some calls here and there. I'm sure we'll get to the quote unquote, you know, the penalty decision or the the quote unquote big quote unquote the the Daniel sort of had a red card earlier decision, which is just <laughs> ridiculous in, in my opinion. But, um, yeah, for the most part, thought it was a great game. And Sky didn't even show the red card happening. It just showed kind of the, uh, the kerfuffle, so to speak, afterwards of you know people in their face and whatnot. And I've seen some clips, and I, I get it when it's – I understand the rules and, and the changes that they wanted to make in the beginning of the season saying, hey, you know, we got to kind of lay off the refs a little bit from the players' perspective, like kind of keep it to the captains, right? The captains are the ones you typically have kind of the uh, the access to the ref, you can't crowd the ref, you can't charge the ref, whatever. At least from the replays I saw, it did not seem as though Dan Neal did anything outside of just kind of walk towards him, move towards him a little bit with his arms out type of thing. And, he's, he's, and he went from 25 yards away from him to 20 yards away from him. And right. Like I say, he's... We know what he said, allegedly. Um, what? And apparently that's what the referees actually told the managers that that's what he said. Um, so I don't even think it's a case of, you know, this is what Dan Neal said, do you trust it or not? Apparently that's what the referees told Morgan (laughs) into that. That's what he said. But he just seems to, obviously he's done this in a game before, uh, the referee who I think it's Gillett, I think it's called, obviously. Yep. Um, It was the, uh, he'll remember Michael. That was Southampton Wolves last season. It was, yeah, Lamina from Wolves where, you know, there's two or three players crowd him and then Lamina slowly walks over and gets booked for it. Um, But, it's, I'll come to you again on this one, Michael. It's just not a yellow card. 
But do you know what, right? At the, at the time, um, well, first of all, I'll quickly touch on the, the first yellow card for context. I actually disagree. I thought the first yellow card was a yellow card. Um, mm. I know some Borough fans were adamant it was a red. I disagree with that. I don't think it's anywhere near strong enough to be a red, but I do think there was definitely context for it to be a yellow. But the reason I bring that up is because I, I it depends on the rule. What do the rules define as dissent now? Is it? Any, that, that, is that's it the point. Type, it depends. It depends what you want to class it as. Yeah. Sorry. That, 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 that's the that's the main that's like, talking point. That's one of the main factors. Is is questioning a decision dissent? Like, is did he even question it? Like. It's such a weird yeah. scenario because he hasn't like went, oh, ref, you're a fucking idiot, blah, blah, this, that, and the other. He's literally yeah. said that's 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 a foul, which is, you know, people, obviously it's different, but people watching at home will go, that's a foul. It's a natural reaction in football that <laughs> if someone gets fouled well, it was, and doesn't get that, given, you'll say that's a foul. Is this is this what the referee has said that Daniel said? Is this from the referee telling us this? I mean, alleged, that, alleged, I'll, I'll try and find the tweet Well. Because from what, from, what I, from what I've understood, I heard that was from Daniel and Tony Mowbray's perspective. So I'm trying to say, if that is what the referee, if that was what Gillett said, that Daniel said to him, then that's stupid to send him off for that. But my point is, like, the, the point I'm going to make is that with Dan Neal, from his perspective, you could argue that it's a bit idiotic because he's on a yellow, he's on a tightrope. And this, this referee was clearly dying to send someone off. You could tell the way that he was strolling about the game, trying to make it about himself. And it's give, and the old typical cliche of giving the referee a decision to make. Um, I've got other bigger prop, bigger issues with Gillett's performance, if I'm being totally honest, than this one. But if you're looking at it that way, then yeah, I mean, if you, I mean, what, what, whichever one of you guys said it, I think it was you, Josh, that if you're going to send someone off for saying it's a fucking foul, then you, everyone, like Kyle said, like you both said before, it's going to be five aside. It's not yep. going to be eleven aside on eleven aside pitch, is it? It's going to end up being five aside. So it, it, this is starting to get really ridiculous. But the thing that annoyed me more than anything else was the fact that Dan Neal gets a yellow card for that. Okay, you can argue it was stupid <laughs> with him being on a yellow, but then the the foul on Clark about ten seconds before. Okay, if Dan Neal's saying that's not a fucking foul, a yellow card, then that foul that we should have got on Jack Clark's definitely a yellow card. Colburn, I know you want to get onto this, but Colburn catching Dan Ballard in the face is a red card. So again, it's a lack of consistency, but yeah, it's uh, it's just baffling. If if yeah. la- the last thing I mentioned on this, because I'm sure you know, could go on forever, but in my I guess the, the theory that I'm making up is that the ref kind of you know there's a lot going on toward the end there. The ref heard just a player coming after him, right? Naturally, he's like, okay, if someone's this is dissent, I'm going to pull out, give him a yellow card, go about his way, and then he realized like, oh shit, or you know, yeah, <laughs> Daniel already has a yellow card. And then as he's pulling out that yellow, he realizes, oh, this can be red. You know, I, I don't think the ref intended to in that in that split moment. I don't think he intended to send Daniel off. I think he forgot that he had a yellow card to begin with. And then as he's pulling it out, he's like, well, no going back now. And yeah, that that's yeah. that's the only explanation I can think of is that he just did not realize that in that split moment, which there's a lot going on, that um to be fair, you might be right though, because on the replays when I've watched it back. Doesn't he pull the second yellow card, and then about five seconds later, then he pulls the red card? Right. So it means right. that he doesn't pull. He doesn't put about. Well, you might know this better, Cal. He doesn't pull the red card straight away, does he? He he, he puts the puts the yellow card up. Little minute. Yep. Little, little um. What's the one looking for? Pause happens, and then it's the red. Um. I mean, in the ground, we didn't. I mean, all I saw was, all I saw was so, the crowd started to get um really edgy or start to get annoyed, and then I saw red, and I didn't realize it was Dan Neal. But you know, I can kind of get what you mean. It, it's one where. I don't know. Again, it's the, the problem is it's, if it's if you're booking him 
just for the sake of dissent, then you open up, and for what he said, then you're opening up a huge can of worms there, not only for every time a player swears, either at or with a referee, or in the direction of a referee, but not at him, or with things that are perceived to be worse than what Dan Neal did, but then yeah. don't get booked. And and I think, I think one thing that people need to take into consideration as well, which we'll never find out, obviously, but for all we know as well, and this isn't, you know, defending the referee because he was shit for the entire game, but, you know, that... <laughs> To look at it from the other side, that could have been the fifth or sixth time that Dan Neal said that, you know, in, in the first half where True. that could yeah. have, you know, the ref might have said on the third time, right, you've only been booked. If you keep doing this, I'm gonna book you. He does it again, the ref's like, right, this is your last one and and then Dan Neal does it again, then sends him off. And then like that's the part that you'll never you'll never know. Um Yeah, exactly. And I think that, that I think that, that's, that's why it. referees have said this for a while, and lots of people said this for a while. I should be interviewed after a game and be like every big decision in a game, they should be forced to explain. Because if the referee comes out after that game and says, right, I warned Neil five times after he'd already been booked not to you know, question yep. every decision that's been made, then people would probably take a different stance on it. Be like, yeah, fair enough, Neil's a bit stupid there. He's been told not to do it. I see why he's done it. But you'll never know that side of it. But moving on from that, because about 10 seconds <laughs> later, a red card is not given for something that well, I'm, say could have, could, I'm going to say it could have been a red card, but it should have been a red. Um, you know, ball goes up in the air, comes to, towards Ballard. Corbin leads with his elbow, which I think is a red. Um, you know, straight. It, it has no intent to play in the ball. He leads with an elbow, which, again, talking about VAR, if someone looked at that, it's probably given as a straight red for violent conduct. But even if it's not, it's a yellow card at the minimum. Which that then leads to the halftime whistle being blown, and you know Ballard squares up to him, and Corbin squares up to him, and Ballard gets booked for doing that, and Corbin does as well. Which means the referee, you know, you can see it on Sky when they watch it. You know, the ball goes up, he stops watching the game, blows for half time, and then he realizes what's happened. So he, I think he's kind of missed it as well, and I think the officials have missed it because of how close it was to the halftime break. But he should have been off, Kyle. Yeah, and it's and like like I said, this just goes to the overall frustration of you know, and I, I think just going back to it as well, it's God, you know, if we we're gonna have a player sent off, like I would have been just rather sent off like Dan Neal for you know the tackle that Borough fans wanted to get a red card. Yeah, it's just the whole the, the layer of dissent and and being such an objective decision makes everything else after that become so much more frustrating because you there's just no consistency to it anymore. And yeah, he went and gave both players the yellow and things like that. But I, I don't know. It, 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 it really just like I said, it, it took what was going to be a fan, probably a really, really fun second half. It spoiled and it, didn't it? It just spoiled it. Yeah, especially for me, I was hanging out my ass, just so tired, <laughs> and I watched this <laughs> pile of garbage in the second half. It was so frustrating. But anyways, that's, so it's not that's, you've ruined it, but it's decided the game as well, Michael. Because well, yeah. you can look at. Games, you'd be like, yeah, can Sunderland do something with 10 men there? But if there's one team that, you you know, they haven't had a good start this season, obviously they're still in the bottom half. But if there's one team, well, a couple of teams really, but if there's a couple of teams you don't want to go down to 10 men against, you're probably saying Southampton, Middlesbrough up there, because, you know, Carrick, possession-based football, and, you know, they will use yeah. the extra man to their advantage. And, you know, that's exactly what they did in the second half. And, you know, there's a few other things that we'll talk about in the second half. But aside from refereeing, kind of back to performance, the performance from Sunderland in that second half was absolutely shocking. 
And yes, we have uh, 10 men. Oh. Yes, you lose a midfielder. And yes, you're bringing on an attacking midfielder to bring, play the role of a essentially a hold midfielder. And, you know, it is going to make it harder. It's going to make it obviously easier for Middlesbrough. And, you know, <laughs> Middlesbrough are going to have more of the ball, more of the game and probably look the better team. But the way Sunderland just seemed to absolutely collapse after half-time is, you know, can't be overlooked. No, absolutely can't. And that and that's something I think we should be consistent with. That, you know, we've, we've still got to give accountability for the fact that, I mean, if you look, I mean, I've seen, I mean, I, I only this morning have I actually seen the fourth goal back because I couldn't be bothered to look at it back because by the time the fourth goal happened live, I'd zoned out. Basically. I still, have, but, still I mean, haven't seen the fourth goal and I don't plan on seeing it. So <laughs> Yeah, it's not great. Basically it's shot and then it, and then Patterson saves it and four scores into an empty net, basically. But um the, but it's you know, I mean the first goal to be fair from Greenwood, I mean we'll get we'll get onto another conversation because he shouldn't have been on the pitch really either. But um point is wait that's a good finish. I'll give Greenwood that. The first goal's a good finish. If that was Sunderland, I'd be saying that. But you look at the second and third goals, absolutely all over the place defensively. Um Crooks now, we'll, I'll, I'll stop you there one. as well because if we're going to go back to the referee in debate. The third goal's offside as well. Oh, oh miles yeah, too. True. Yeah. I mean, well, okay. One last thing I'll quickly mention on the referee in case there are any Borough fans listening to this because there probably will be. The one thing I'm starting to get very sick of from Borough fans when they argued, well, Dale Fry got sent off last season, which wasn't a red card. No, let's get this crystal clear. Dale Fry's red card last season was a red card. It was last man denying a goal scoring opportunity. I can understand the argument that a penalty shouldn't have been given in that game, but for me, it was a straight red card. I don't know how this is a debate, to be honest. But the point is, the frustrating thing comes from, if you're going to agree that Dan Neal's second yellow was a yellow, then Borough should have had at least two red cards across the game. Because the incident you referred to um, sorry, yeah, we're going back on referee, but we can't not. But you look, I asked in the group chat that we're in um, that what minute the uh, was it was it on um, sealed the it challenge was, from Sam yeah. Greenworth? Yeah, and apparently you said he was already on yellow at that point. Is that correct? For dissent as well. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, if that's <laughs> if that's the case, then so if you're going to give Dan Neal the second yellow for dissent, and you've already given Dan, uh, Sam Greenwood a yellow card for dissent, then can someone please explain to me how that challenge on Jensen Seal is not warranted a second yellow card? Because wasn't it nil nil still at that stage? Uh, would have been, yeah. I'm sure it would have been. So that that that, that in itself can re-alter the game and make it at least and make it attempt to make it a contest again. And in that case, no. That that that. So in that sense, no. I do actually feel a bit cheated here, and I'm getting more pissed off thinking about it, even when I thought I'd calm down. But um, you know, <laughs> that 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 uh, Greenwood shouldn't have been on the pitch. Coburn shouldn't have been on the pitch. So you know, I I don't get what Borough fans are when they say that. Like you know. And this is one thing, I need to get this rant out of my system, so apologies that I'm going to bore you to death with it, but I'm getting so <laughs> fed up of this idea that every time you lose a game and you mention the referee, you dare to mention it, even when they've been crap, it's, oh, you're bitter, oh, it's always the ref's fault, oh, you mention them every time you get beat. That is absolute bollocks, because, because I've mentioned referees before when we have won games. There was a couple of games that, I'm sure even on this very podcast, we've mentioned referees when we've won games as we well. We have. Yeah. Go back through and listen to them. Like It's it, I'm, it's been I'm a massive, it's not just this game either. When you lose. Yep. It's not just this game either, because the referees just this weekend have seemed to be a massive talking point as well, because you've got the, I don't know if you've seen it, because it was only recent, but in the Man City women's game, they had a, I think it was 27 I minutes see in. That, yes. They've had a player sent off for daring to take 15 seconds to take a free kick um someone questioned that decision also got booked from it again you know it's set 27 minutes in uh, obviously i don't know too much about women's football i'm not going to pretend i do but you know i imagine man city aren't you know the type of team that would time waste after 27 minutes you know there's going to be some free kicks some throw-ins some corners where you might not take it straight away and it's not down to the fact you want to waste time or you're cheating or this that and the other it's the whole point of having a free kick is to try and gain an advantage from it. 
And if there's no immediate advantage within five seconds to play that ball mm. to a teammate, you might take an extra five, ten seconds to take it just to, you know, see who's up there, see who's there. But that was another one. And, you know, I think it was Stephen Humphreys on Twitter. Obviously, he plays for Wigan now in League One. Um, even he posted, quoted the tweet about Sunderland's uh, Dan Neal getting sent off. And, you know, what he said is, don't disagree with referees in today's game. The majority will refuse to listen to what you have to say or just card you for even daring to question their decision, even if you know their decision is wrong. You have to stay quiet and comply when they better officiate badly. And apparently he was booked. This is what he says again. This is one of the cases where, you know, whether you want to trust what a footballer says or not. But apparently he was booked on Tuesday night for asking the linesman, how is that their ball? <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah. then, then, then they, look, don't get me wrong. I mean, to, to flip it, to kind of be a little bit devil's advocate here, I understand how difficult a job referee must be. You must have a certain strength of character to be able to do that. I certainly wouldn't be able to do it. But again, it, when, when, is, when did this become a thing when criticising or daring to voice an opinion about the referee is an illegal criminal offence? I don't get it. Like, <laughs> it, it, it honestly Same feels like it, it honestly they should just be arrested. Screw offense. the yellow card. They should just be arrested on the spot. If they want to make well, change, yeah. that's, how, that's how you do it. Kyle, you're half joking, <laughs> but I wouldn't rule it out in the future. Um, you know, like it, it, it baffles me completely. And you get some people that slag off anyone who dares to say, hang on, I thought the referee was out of line there. If you want to flip it the other way and say decisions we've got over the years that have been um, baffling, Ever since when we the first year we dropped into League One, if you remember the Bradford game on Boxing Day, Bradford had a clear as goal, clear as day goal that should have yeah. been given over the line, somehow wasn't given, and you could argue that cost them staying in League One in the end. So like we've been the benefit of absolutely horrendous and shocking decisions. The Rotherham game, this the Rotherham game this very season, the referee was shocking. He was awful that game and all. So you know. When, when are we going to get to a point when you're not going to get slagged off every five minutes for saying, hang on, the referee wasn't very good? Yes, you can say, and like you said earlier, we've got to make it clear that Sunderland's performance in the second half wasn't good enough. But if you're honestly, if anyone's trying to argue, however bad we were second half, that it was not heavily factored into by what happened before half time with the red card, and it, when that didn't have a significant outcome on the result, then in my opinion, your head's in the clout because that is just nonsense. But just neat, like. <laughs> There's nothing will ever be done about it, but, you know, again, you know, Sunderland, I do think the referee decided the game, and I think Sunderland have lost the game because of a wrong well, red sorry, card, look, well, two wrong red cards. Two. Let me ask you two this. Do either of you think 11 v 11, we lose that game? Uh, not 4 0. If we were going to lose, it might have been 1 yeah, 0. I, I don't like but if, I, you base, okay. if you're going to base it on the first half, Sunderland will be a better team 11 v right. 11. Because I, I think yeah. the biggest, obviously, obviously, going to man down is there's just a numerical advantage. It's one thing, but it's it's not only that. But as soon as I see Jack Clark, probably our best attacking player, defending in our own box, you know, yeah. consistently, that that's really where. And I'm sure we'll get onto that, like because a lot of people think Mowbray got it wrong, and it's just like, okay, well, what can you really do in a lot of situations? But I, I think that was the biggest thing outside of just being down a man. It, it'd be different if if we could maintain our shape, but we just weren't able to due to. I don't know, injury maybe or things like that. But I thought as soon as I saw Jack Clark getting just roasted multiple times by Jones, who was actually, fan- I thought Jones was fantastic for Middlesbrough. He was I, probably he's, man in the match for me as well. He, and he was definitely yeah. egging the crowd on it. You know, lots of things like that, which you, know, you don't like to see. But at the same time, you know what? Like, Love get on you. Yeah. Embarrass, embarrass our defenders multiple times. But 
if Jack Clark, you know, God bless him, he's an amazing player. I would not categorize him as defense. He hustles at least on defense, but yeah, it was uh, it was more so that we just had players so out of position due to necessity that uh, anytime they attacked, it was almost always down that side, and it was just that Jones was just absolutely torturing us. Yeah. Obviously, we've covered, you know, the decisions that kind of changed the game or impacted the game, but th- there's so many other things in that game that just demonstrate the issue with refereeing, not just in the championship, not just Go in this game, but Go in the on, league. And you've got, th- there was one on Jack Clark in the first half where if Clark goes down, he gets the free kick. There was an advantage played. Player gets booked. Clark doesn't go down. Advantage gets played. Player doesn't get booked because it was an advantage. Which doesn't make any you sense. Know, it- he must have forgotten about it. He has to have done. That's only thing that makes sense. It seems to happen a lot. Where I can't. There was. An, I might have generally been in the Watford game where there was an advantage played for foul as well, and then he doesn't go back and book them. And I don't know whether it's a case of referees just don't like booking them players when they haven't actually given them a free kick for it. But there's one yellow card that should have been given, and I think that was their. I think it was the right back that fouled them, which again, you know, it doesn't impact the game too much. But that was quite early in the game. Jack Clark, 11 v 11, up against their right back. If he's on a yellow card, it changes things slightly. Um, Crooks made, I think, four fouls in the game, ended the game without a yellow card. Roberts makes one foul, which is identical to the one that was on Clark in the first half and gets booked for it. Um, And, you know, a lot of these bias aside, obviously, you know, heavily targeted towards Sunderland's, um, like in a bad way towards Sunderland because they have affected Sunderland. But, wasn't even just that. There's some decisions that went our way that should never be going our way. I mean, you know, you look at some of the cards that Boa should have picked up that didn't, some of the fouls that should have been given that didn't. Um, two dives in the box from Middlesbrough players as well that went unpunished. But, you know, there's a foul. I say there's a foul. There's not a foul on Abdul Bar when he's, you know, I think two on one um, in the first half. He goes down under no contact whatsoever, gets a free kick, and their player gets booked for it. So it's not just a case of, you know, we lose a game, referee bad, this, that, and the other. It's just the referee in every game, every league, every week is just terrible. And it's usually just across the game as well. Like I said, there's decisions that Middlesbrough should have got that they didn't. And things need... I've said this before, but former professional footballers should either be turned into referees in a way <laughs> or you know force them at, at <laughs> least at least be in charge of referees because the people who are officiating games now quite clearly do not have previous history in football they don't know how the game works they don't know what constitutes as a foul what doesn't constitute as a foul what you know what a football a footballer knows what gets said on the pitch a referee wouldn't because they haven't played it they don't know the intensity of it and, you know, again, that comes back down to the Daniel yellow card where football is no that's going to happen in every single game across the country, across the world, across the divisions, whereas referees are going to start booking them for dissent. And like I say, I'm kind of rambling on here, but it does need a change. Well, and, and that's what's so funny, too, because, you know, you know it, for the last couple of years, probably the last decade or so before even VAR was implemented, VAR was implemented and a lot of money was spent on it to essentially, you know, protect the referees in the case saying like, hey, you're going to make mistakes and, and VAR is going to kind of be there to, you know, clean up certain opportunities and things like that and, and just try to make it a more fair game. But we just saw VAR with Liverpool Tottenham, not to get too much in, you know, Premier League and things like that. 
but made the most baffling mistake I've ever seen. And then they tried to defend it. They tried to defend this VAR decision, which was just so incorrect. And it was just down to miscommunication. It's been talked about and things like that. But how are you then going to implement a system and then say, oh, well, it's too expensive to implement all the other leagues as well because of X, Y, Z. But also it's it's not perfect. And it's like if if that's coming from I don't know where the funding comes from it either, but it's just like, what are we doing here? You know, it, it it's just ridiculous. And so you know, my question would be. And maybe this discussion for another pod, especially now that we had the international break. But what what's the solution here? You know, because it's like, how how can referees be great on performance, or should should there be promotion relegation for referees? Is there promotion relegation for referees? I know there's like some sort of report card system for them, but I mean, at the end of the day, something has to be done. But there's also just not a very big pool of these insane individuals who want to referee at this level but yeah i digress yeah it's just i think that's what's frustrating we, we hear a lot of the complaints var was supposed to be the solution that's obviously not even the solution anymore so so what VAR is? only works if the officials know what they're doing if they don't know what they're doing in the first place then it's just gonna yep. reiterate that they don't know what they're doing and that's where I think the former football, you know, in the in that little VAR office, right? Because they have that little room, and that's where they're watching it. There should be two uh, former football player, you know, defender, attacker, whatever, and they should be in there, and they should be the ones with that ref, just being like, "That's this is my opinion, this is that." And then it's a you got to have majority two thirds, and I I don't know, it, who knows? It's just it, it's just frustrating, and I and I Wait, hate so it's it just like, like sorry, Cowboy. Yeah. It's like that that thing you mentioned before in the top Liverpool game. It's not like a, that decision with the Louis Diaz goal. It's not like a one where it was wrong, but it's subject to interpretation. It's blatantly wrong. Like it was, it's it, it's objectively beyond all reasonable doubt the incorrect decision. And it's the fact that these uh, sometimes what these referees or VAR officials or whoever else they seem so reluctant to admit they made a mistake. And that's where, and as as wrong as it is, that's where for me a lot of the disrespect comes from. Because if you if you're refusing to admit that you're wrong and you're stubbornly defending wrong decisions then where's the respect going to come into it that, that referees want and to some degree probably deserve? Because as I said before, refereeing is such a hard damn job. that. Uh, but the problem you've said before is that, you know, with, with what's going on, with the standard of referees getting worse, it's going to be a repetitive cycle where, you know, referee standards get worse, more people get frustrated, more abuse gets hurled at the referee, less qualified refs even than them then start to referee games. And the cycle continues all over again to the point where this quality just gets worse and worse and worse because of it. Um, and here's another thing that I think we should probably that should probably get brought up. I think the lines officials now escape a hell of a lot of criticism compared even yeah. compared to the referees because, like like Josh said before, Middlesbrough stood to cut it back onto the game. Middlesbrough's third goal was offside, and I don't blame uh, Gillett for not spotting that. How the hell did the linesman not see it? And, <laughs> yeah, that's, I know it that's really screenshot impact, I said. Really impact the result. Yeah. I know it doesn't impact the result at that point, but how the linesman are also uh, almost at this stage in football. The most pointless part of a game, I think, because <laughs> you know what? Yeah, they don't give fouls. Right. They don't give fouls. They're there to give offsides and throw-ins. And nine times out of ten, they get them wrong. They they do give the fouls occasionally, right? They'll they'll wave the flag if it's kind of right. Usually, of them, but it's not a foul. There was one in the first <laughs> half. <laughs> That's what I was just going to say. Um, <laughs> I think it was in the first was, half where yeah. it was on. Was it the first? Yeah, it was uh, right on the left corner um, of Middlesbrough defending where she don't think there was a single bit of contact. Players just fell over on the ball. Referee, that's a referee, linesman is half a yard away from it. And I think the linesman especially, as soon as a player goes down, they feel bad not to give a foul. 
you'll watch like go and watch this is obviously when by the time this podcast out the game's being played but whatever game's on tv next go and watch it and see how many times the linesman flags were foul that there's barely any contact if any at all and i reckon every game will have at least 10 of them because linesmen just seem to again just have a misunderstanding of what constitutes a foul what is enough contact to make a player go down and yeah anyway we'll leave it there for referee the offside was pretty bad though because even, even in that photo i sent you like, yeah, I understand the linesman should always be in line obviously with our last defender he was ahead of the attacking player yeah. <laughs> like, like he was ahead of the middlesbrough player by like a step or two and i'm like how do you well, again like, this this is this is what yeah. I'm, this is what i said on twitter to someone it's not referees are going to make mistakes if they didn't make mistakes then it's not human but the ref, the mistakes that are being made aren't mistakes down to um, like a, a physical element. I can't think of the best way to explain it, but you know, if a player if a player misplaces a pass, it's a mistake. Didn't he didn't do anything wrong mentally or in preparation for that to make that mistake? But for example, like Kyle says there, the offside. If the linesman does what he's supposed to do which is being in line with the last defender, he probably gives that as offside. But that mistake originates from the referee or the linesman or the official mm. or whoever it is not doing what they should have done in the first place. And I think yeah. that goes with a lot of the decisions that went in that game as well. Well, again, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's about a lack of collective responsibility, isn't it? You know, again, it's, it's, there's no point in having referees and lines officials there if they're not going to have any cohesion. I mean, do, these, do they even talk to each other? I mean, I don't know whether they've got earpieces in with them so that they can communicate. But to me, it just doesn't feel like they talk to each other all that often. And half the time, they're at odds on what the right decision is anyway. But you're they right. They've earpieces, that... but I don't know whether they're functional ones or whether they're just there for a place. Well, oh, no, yeah. Yeah, unwilling you know, these days. But yeah, uh, like, look, like I said, on a general point, I don't, we don't like to, I'm pretty sure we don't like talking about referees, but we've got to. to get rid of it. We've, we've got, sorry. You have to talk about referees at this stage. You can't not, can you? You can't, and especially, in, I mean, I mean, one of the things I said when we got promoted from League One is, oh, actually, I think the referees might be better in the Championship, and if anything, they're worse. A they're genuinely worse. <laughs> worse than League One. And yeah. I, and I never thought I'd be even in even even probably ten games in the last season. I was looking at it going, these officials are still shit. They're worse, you know. And I mean, the ones in League One, you know. I mean, they've at least got the reason that I suppose they're not former Premier League, well, for the most part, not former Premier League refs who relied on VAR to bail them out of things or whatnot. But, like, you look at Jared Gillett, I mean, he got dropped, I think, from the Premier League. And then how come all of a sudden we're stuck with him? You know, what, what message does that send? Oh, the championship doesn't matter, so you can just go ref there for a bit. Like, it does matter. For us and Borough, I would imagine that the aim is to try and get promoted this season. And what happens if at the end of the season we miss out on the top two, well, say top two by a point, for example? I don't think we'll get in the top two, by the way. But, I mean, the point is, <laughs> if you miss out on that for like a, by a point, and this game could have affected that, you know. Uh, and But, again, I just wish we could get rid of this culture where it's, it's, a, it's again, like I said before, it's a criminal offence punishable by ridicule if you end up daring to question the referee as a fan. You know, you can say the results shouldn't matter, you know. Oh, uh, yeah, you, you, one of you two might want to talk. I'm, I'm blubbering here. <laughs> we'll move on. Too, I'm too annoyed. I'm really too annoyed. Yeah, we'll move on because this could go on for probably about five yeah, hours, I think. Um, I think the worst part about it is that it's on the front of an international break, which yeah. sick of them. Oh, and <laughs> you got two football. weeks to stew on this. Brilliant. Yeah. 
Just international football just needs to get in the bin. Especially these games. Like, I don't even know what they are. Yeah. Is, is it friendly? Is it qualified? I don't know. But what a, anyway. what a contrast! Because I think before the last international break, we yeah. beat Southampton yeah. like a million to nothing, and then now we're yeah. going to. I know it's, it's one or the other. This is the thing I hate losing games for an international. Break. I mean, you, yeah. you don't you don't want an international break after a win because you've got momentum. You don't want an international break after a loss because you're going to dwell on it. So just get rid of them. Draw. Bin them. Just get a but, draw. That's yeah. it. Just draw the game. Goodbye. Um, but it is isn't national break, whatever you think of that. I'm telling you now, it's shit. But next game, Stoke. Um, Daniel, obviously, not going to be there. Well, he'd be there, but he'll not be playing. Um, Equa might be back. Um, the we need him to be back, Mike. The longest dead leg injury in the history of football, I think. He's been out for about <laughs> three weeks. Uh, so, it was a QPR he went off. It was Q- start of the QPR game he went off, and he's... It's a dead leg. I know you're right. It's three weeks. It's three. That's that's one of the things that I think that if we had to get anyone sent off yesterday, that's the one position you don't want to have anyone sent off because Especially yeah. Evans injured, Matetti injured, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Injured. Poor, yeah, Joe so, was I mean, just. If, if, if Eck was out, then what the hell do we do? You play two attacking midf- two attacking midfielders in all the midfield is what we do. Um, the only other thing I could think of that you could probably do uh, is put all nine in midfield and then have like Jensen <laughs> Seal with Ballard at the back. Which yeah. granted presents its own risk. If, even that know, doesn't work because with Huggins now injured. Well, right. that's the problem. Is, well, I mean, what other options have we got at fullback? I mean, Ali, I know Elise is. Back I mean, back I, I think I think if you would do that, you'd have, you'd have sealed at the at fullback, Triantes and Ballard. Yeah, we're, in there. But what's the status on like Eo Circuit as well? Is another one. Yeah. Bradley Dak's been out for. It seems like it, the injuries that we have were late. Well, at the time, I'm fairly sure, especially Equa labelled as pretty short term injuries, and seems to have been well, the age. And it seems to get to medium term. Back. You would think yeah. probably for him, it, you know, with that sort of injury, knowing that we're just about to enter an international break, it I can see the reasoning too yeah. of just playing it extra safe for a lot of these players. Let's just get to the international yeah. break. Yes, it sucks to lose four nil, but like we're look at the table. I mean, we're we're sitting fourth right You're now, still which, is, which is pretty pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, the next game, Stork. Alex Neal's Stork, to be particular, um, oh. whether it is still Alex Neal's Stork at the end of that. International break. It's probably up in the air. The Michael Hudson. Well, to be honest, we'll, we'll find moment. out in the next few days whether it's going to be because if they're going to sack him, they're going to do it probably at the start of the international break, aren't they? Because the one. Oh, you think so? Back. But I'm, you know, I think we've done I it in the past where. Personally, but I could be wrong. Did we not do that in the past where we sacked a manager like in the last few days of an international break? I'm sure we did. <laughs> I don't but know. I mean, it made no I sense. Mean, I mean, anything. When we when we sacked Lee Johnson, we took like ten weeks to find a replacement. So you know, anything's possible in football. But yeah. But that's the next game. Um, if you want a, I say it, a good look start. I think last time we lost by a four goal margin, we then won one nil, which was obviously a, actually a defeat to Stoke, followed by a win uh, at Norwich, and then a defeat against Sheffield United as well after that. But it is Stoke. It is in a way a game which again, like we keep saying, probably favours Sunderland. Um, Stoke under pressure. Alex Neil under pressure. They need to win. They should probably come out and try and win the game, um, which, again, favours Sunderland because it allows players like Clark, Roberts, whoever else might play the space to get in behind and create or produce something to turn the game in Sunderland's favour. But early predictions for that game, Michael? I'm trying to... Not, right. If Alex Neal's still there, I think we get beat, unfortunately. I just oh, think it's... No. You know, it's not because I think Stoker better than us. It's because right. of him. It's because of Alex Neal. And yeah. I know we said, 
And the, the last time we faced Stoke, I said, Alex Neal's under pressure, really get at them, and we lost 5-1. So I'm <laughs> going to try and go into the mindset that we're going to lose, and if we're getting, we'll beat him, it's a bonus. But yeah, the thing is, Alex Neal, we know how pragmatic he is, don't we? We know how he's going to look at Sullivan's weaknesses. If he's smart, he knows the fact that we're light in centre midfield. So... I'll be. I think Stoke will probably try to come out and win the game. One thing is for certain: we have got to defend much better than we did against Borough Middlesbrough. Um, I know we had ten men, but we, I think I think defensively we we fell well short of the standard that we are definitely capable of. Yeah. So I'll go right again. The reverse psychology train continues. I'll go one nil to Stoke if Alex Neal's still there. If Alex Neal isn't there, three one Sunderland. Yeah. I think there's actually another similarity to the last time that I just mentioned there about the four goal deficit. We lost the. Different games, but we lost four, five, one to Stoke, four, four goal deficit. Um, then we won against Norwich, which is in two games' time, and then we lost against a team that were expected to be promoted. And of course, after Stoke, our next game is Leicester. So a little bit. Well, put it this way: the next three, I think we had, uh, the next three, the last three games, the three games following that Stoke, I think it was a win at Norwich, lost to Sheffield United, and it was a draw against Luton. So if that's the case, then we're going to beat Stoke, dr- lose to Leicester, and draw with Norwich <laughs> if you want to believe in that. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see about that. Kyle, predictions quick. Go. Yeah, I'll go uh, 1-1. It'll be uh, Patrick Roberts' goal. He finally gets off, uh, opens his finally account gets this his first season. goal this season. And then the uh, their goal will be a Luke 9 uh, flying header own goal. Interesting. We'll see. <laughs> but of course, that game is in two weeks' time or something. A long time away, um, unfortunately. But we'll have a podcast out uh, around the time of that game to talk about what happens during that. Um, potentially a look at, you know, Elias Mayenda for the first time. Obviously, he was injured about half an hour after signing for us, and he's been out since. Um, he could be involved. Elise could be back. Echo could be back. Um, in terms of Evans, Matete and Serkan, I don't think they'll be back. Serkan, potentially. Evans, definitely not. I don't really know how long Matete is out for. But future, a uh, few people will be back for that game. We'll get something out to talk about what happens during it. But until then... We will see you later. That's all, folks.